welcome to episode 177 of Friends in Film. We're here bringing the latest movie news and a few of the biggest new releases, which this week is Godzilla, King of the Monsters. As always, I'm your host, Cooper Hood, once again joined by Josh Stanley. Hello, everybody. Hello. Hello, Cooper. Coop, what is the earliest you would ever eat hot pizza? Hmm. Cold pizza for the mornings, but what is the earliest you'd be like, it's time for pizza? Well, I'm not much of a cold pizza guy, so you're really just asking me what's the earliest I'll eat mm-hmm. a pizza. Um, and if it's like, okay, I wake up at a normal time and not like, oh, you're up all night long and it's, you go to like get like a 2 a.m., oh, 3 a.m. Yes. pizza. It is 7.30 in the morning. You have just gotten ready for the day. No, no pizza then. No it's pizza then. It's it probably like 11. 11 is the earliest you probably. could do. Wow. It's the same. Like I, like, I love Coke. You bring me a Coke every week to mm-hmm. record, and I thank you for that. Um, but I cannot drink pop before like 11. Really? Yeah. Even if it tried to like, you, keep me awake. What do you drink in the mornings? Water. I've never seen you drink coffee. Water. Wow. And it's not like an energy thing. It's more like, oh, I, I should drink water. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's like my body needs this to stay surviving. Basically. Well, I asked this because yesterday I encountered for the first time a pizza place that was open at 9 a.m. And I'm like, surely they're selling something other than pizza this morning. Maybe they've got like bagels or croissants. So I like duck in there. <laughs> and no, they have got pizzas stacked up and they're like, all right, get going. And like... And you had some? I didn't have any. Oh. I just needed to like behold it. <laughs> and I was like, well, that's impressive. Uh, Red Angel, I mean, congratulations. Well, I know. I, I used to work at a pizza place. Mm-hmm. And when whenever you'd open, I mean, I don't think we actually open our doors till like 10, 1030 for like our lunch buffet. And even then it was like, if you're getting in, you're like ordering your own pizza, not like getting the pizza that's sitting in the spinner already. Yeah. Wow. So you're like waiting like, you know, half hour. I, well, I, I just, I am a firm believer that if you can get a pizza at 9 a.m., that's a good world. Okay. I mean, especially to like pineapple, like that would be a good breakfast pizza. <laughs> I don't know. But hey, um, if you're wanting to know like what kinds of pizzas we like and things like that, we tweet those things. But if you're wondering like news and updates and other kinds of information like when pizza places are open, but for movie news... I don't know if that was seamless, but you can find all of those on our Twitter at Friends in Film. But if you're looking for our movie reviews, like the one you're about to hear, you can find those on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, anywhere podcasts can be found. And if you can, though, on Apple Podcasts, please rate and review us. That'll ultimately help rank us, and then we can find more friends of the show. That is correct. Now, uh, before we get into uh, our review this week of Godzilla King of the Monsters, we each watched something else probably this week. Yes. That we're going to talk about. I before, did. Before that, mm. you mentioned Twitter. I did. Um, I found out this week never to suggest that Vincent D'Onofrio be recast Ooh. for the big screen of the MCU because people will tag him <gasps> mm-hmm. and then he will tweet about it and then you will spend all day Who did it? getting, I don't some don't, randos. No snitch tagging. It, yeah. I was like, I didn't tag him for a reason. <sighs> My suggestion was that The Rock could. Like be cast as the MCU's kingpin on the big screen as like a more like larger than life gangster version, mm-hmm. like a mob boss. It's yeah. like that'd be cool. And the first couple of people were like, Yeah, this is a cool idea. And then some were like, No, at Vincent D'Onofrio is the only one. And then he was like, Hmm, yeah, that'd be unfortunate. And then all of a sudden my notifications were on fire for two days. I I did take a peek at this because I saw this go down like a little ways. Um, it didn't look like you got ratioed, which was good. There was <laughs> there was more likes the time, which was like a day ago that I checked. Sure. 
Um, but I have not checked on it then. So all I'll say is that I had definitely the most replies I've ever had to a single tweet oh, because geez. it was just people tweeting back. No, it's Vincent Nafrio. No, Vincent Nafrio. No, it can only be him. It's like, okay, like I like I ah. and I replied back to him. I was like, I love your work. There's nothing against mm-hmm. you. It was more like a. <laughs> it was literally a thought that popped into my head that morning because I was reading it's a Spider-Man vs. Kingpin comic, and the, I was like, oh, that'd the, be cool. The endless cycle of can castings. It's not. It's not. Um. It's not personal. It's not personal. It's never personal. And since that part of the MCU seems to have been hacked off like yeah. a gangrenous green, you know, limb, I I don't think you were in the wrong. But let's Listen, like 142 replies to 364 likes. Uh, I I think public opinion, or uh, not that Twitter's public opinion, <laughs> but I think the opinion on Twitter like is mixed. So I think you're sure. In, I, think I think you're think, in the good. I think probably the 3,000 plus likes that he got on his mm, that'd be unfortunate. Mm. Uh, probably outweighs what happened on mine. <laughs> oh, oh, that's okay. We're not here to talk about Vincent Nafrio and whether or not he should be in the MCU. Mm. He should be. If they want to go that route, but if they don't, then The Rock is my choice. I'm excited to see his directorial debut. Uh, yeah, The Kid. Yes, I think I think it's out on VOD or something currently, but maybe I guess I'm not that excited. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, seeking um, out. But, but I you did, did seek watch something. something. Else out? I did seek something else out this week. Um, but I guess it found me on Netflix okay. via algorithm. But I watched The Wandering Earth, this epic oh. Chinese blockbuster, kind of mm-hmm. like the first really big budget film by our standards I think it's to take place uh, I mean I don't know if it's their first it's like I think it's like the, one of their highest grossing movies of the year okay. over there right now yeah but anyway it is a it's totally uh, it makes no sense all the way through um, it's wandering and meandering and kind of like a trash blockbuster but it's cool visually which is like kind of like what it boils down to and that's basically it of it. Like I was watching it and I realized very early on that this was not that great of a film, but it also was like, Oh great. Now I don't have to look for deep significance in this, like this, you know, this foreign film Mm -hmm. because it's, they're finally, um, it's a coming of age for Chinese cinema that that they can put (laughs) out movies that are, you know, huge budgeted and objectively kind of bad and garbage. So, okay. <laughs> but I, I do recommend watching it because there is some beautiful, um, you know, like Martian space, Jupitorial, like, you know, views and visuals. So that part of it is really fun. That's isn't for sure. It, isn't it like three hours long or something? It is two hours and five minutes actually. Oh, okay. Oh yeah. I could, if it was three hours, I would not be That's even mentioning like. it. Well, that, that was, for some reason, that was the number that was in my head. I Unless I was watching a sped up version. <laughs> Maybe that's why you were watching so on bad. like one and a half speed and oh, you're like, oh, gosh. this is really moving. <sighs> but how about you, sir? Uh, I watched two things this week Ooh. that I'll quickly mention. Uh, one is a new release that's on theaters right now. It's Rocket Man. Mm. Uh, Taron Edgerton is great in the movie. It's probably his best performance of his career. Uh, his early career, a very promising career, and one that's probably going to get him cast as Wolverine in the next two to three years. Uh, in my mind, um, he he's great. The song and dance numbers are really fun, and Dexter Fletcher, I think, really shines with those. It's probably fifteen minutes too long because there's the first fifteen minutes are Child Dalton, and it's like I don't, you're not Taryn, so get off my screen. Okay, <laughs> right. And uh, you know, that has some of those usual bumps and bruises with the you know a life spanning biopic of all right. Well, here's this really important event, but we're just gonna montage our way through this or sing our way through this. It's like, okay, like 
I think maybe would have liked to see that detail, but it's a really good mm. movie. Uh, go check it out if you're an Elton John uh, fan or you just want to listen to his music again on the big screen. Um, and then I also saw an early screening of Late Night, yeah. uh, which was very enjoyable. Mindy Kaling and Emma Thompson are both hilarious in the movie. Um, it didn't wow me as much as I wanted to, um, but overall still really funny and uh, enjoyable. So get- I think that's coming out now in two weeks yes. wide. Did you get feelings from it? Um no oh okay but but funny yeah it's it's i mean it's very funny uh i mean it has a very uh maybe a little too heavy-handed uh message of you know females in the workplace you know diversity like that kind of stuff Mm -hmm. which normally i'm like yes i'm here for but like for some reason with late night it seemed like they just hit me over the head with this every three minutes yeah i get it Okay. I, I, I don't need it that much. Sure. Um, so, uh, just one, you know, uh, a minor critique there, but I mean, it, it's it's really solid. Uh, Mindy Kaling also wrote the film, so uh, she really, she's probably the best part of the movie. Her first produced screenplay, right? I believe so. Yeah. Okay. Cool. So yeah. Uh, as for Godzilla: King of the Monsters, we both saw it. You literally like, just saw I it. Literally just saw it. Walked from the theater and then walk. I drove from the theater <laughs> to the studio and voila. Now, since this is one of your most anticipated movies of the year, do you want to kick it off and if you give would, us your if thoughts? If you wouldn't mind, yeah. I would love, I, to, I'd love to pass you the torch. All right. Well, thank you so much. I'm just going to grab that. Yeah. Get it right. Just sit that right there. Okay. So, <laughs> Godzilla, King of the Monsters, is, uh, excuse the pun, but it's a monstrous blob of action and then exposition and then emotion, delightfully. Um, there is so much great in it. But it is just trying to, it's doing, it's desperately clawing to stay afloat amidst a sea of like, uh, the sea of franchisization. If that's even a word, I don't know. Because time after time again, you we come to these places, these moments. Michael Duggarty, the director, brings us to these um, really um, emotional but or awesome epic battle sequences between these kaiju, these titans like going at it that you just want to kind of like sit in for a moment but then they're they're punctuated and then they're they end and then all of a sudden you're back behind a computer screen or in some kind of control room by air by sea or by land like all three places mm-hmm. and you're just being you know drowned in lore and then in I don't know, like constant Googling and like looking for answers while monsters are literally rising all across the country and like just destroying things in town. But you're not even seeing that stuff live. You're seeing it from behind computer screens and on telecasts and newscasters just emphasizing the duh obvious moments of like the film. And it's totally perplexing that they go to all these great lengths to set all this up, but instead of actually giving it to us, um, they're ultra withholding and it's not in service of our characters or anything like that. Instead, uh, it's just, I don't know, maybe I, I, I am completely confused by all that. <laughs> um, but I will say though, Millie Bobby Brown and the family strands around her with Kyle Chandler and Vera Farmiga are the most potent part of it. She's an ultra empathetic actor. And, uh, anytime she came up on screen and, and was just doing her craft, I was like, Oh, I really feel for this kid who's caught in the middle of all this. And that's like the powerful punch at the center of the movie that you if you can survive the tornadoes and hurricanes of just 
mindless words being thrown out about ancient civilizations and gods and kings and monsters, you can feel something for this. And then by the time everything comes around to the end of the movie, you can get on board. But and it's almost not worth it. Um, but also, all of that said, uh, I, I give it three out of five ticket stubs. Okay. Um, which I would, and then, you know, retroactively, I would give um, Gareth Edwards Godzilla from mm-hmm. 2014 like a 3.5. Okay. Um, it, it just didn't turn out to be as special as I'd hoped. Um, it's, it's still one of the more emotionally powerful blockbusters, but still, uh, you really have to fight to see the good. Um, and that's disappointing. Yeah, no, I'm pretty much, uh, right in line with you on a lot of those thoughts. I think it's, um, at its best when it's giving us what I thought the trailer really sold you on was this movie's like nonstop monster mayhem. And I was Mm -hmm. like, okay, yeah, give me that. Like, I really loved the Gareth Edwards Godzilla movie from 2014. And I think actually the family dynamics between Brian Cranston, Eric Taylor Johnson, then Eric Taylor Johnson, Elizabeth Olsen, I thought those were like really strong and like really makes that movie work. Uh, even with like the suspenseful buildup of like, and like here's Godzilla actually being revealed and here's mm-hmm. him actually fighting. This one's like the bleed opposite, even though Godzilla still takes a decent amount of time to actually get into the movie, which I was yes. surprised by um, because instead they're setting up Ghidorah, Mothra, Rodan, who each get like these cool introductory sequences. Um, but as like the actual fighting between all of them, even when it's like, you know, Rodan versus Ghidorah or Mothra versus Ro- uh, Rodan or, you know, Godzilla versus Ghidorah, which happens several times. Uh, there's moments of like greatness in there where there's like, this is stunning to look at. But then there's also these moments where, for I understand what they're going for of like they're showing a lot of the action from the character perspective yes. of like and here's this chaoticness of these like 400 500 foot tall monsters like just wrecking destruction across wherever you're nearby and I get that but then it's a lot of shaky cam it's a lot of blurred visuals it's a lot of uh for most of the action sequences dark color palettes uh that really hide a lot of the monsters and I'm like I can't Wait, is that Ghidorah? Is that Rodan? I can't. It was hard to track mm-hmm. who was fighting. I mean, you understand based on the when it when it takes you out and shows you these great epic, you know, wide, uh, you know, shots of like, oh wow, here's Ghidorah and Godzilla charging each other. And right. You get that, and now you understand. Oh, those are the two monsters fighting. But I can't actually tell what's happening because I'm seeing it through three small square lenses that are in, from the, uh, you know, the helicopter that the characters are flying. I was like, I don't care about these people mm-hmm. right now. I want to see the actual monsters fighting, which is what I came here to see. Right. And so from that aspect, I felt a little cheapened uh, by not being able to fully experience those moments. I think probably even though like, you know, the third alley, the third act finale is epic and thrilling in a lot of ways. Probably my favorite action set piece is Rodan, uh, his initial escape. Cause I thought that's where they really did a good job of using the human perspective to emphasize what Rodan's doing, but then also pull you back out and show you here's some flying or dodging jets or whatever. And that was really well done. Um, but it's the the movie isn't just like you mentioned the human characters that are for the most part lacking or uninteresting mm-hmm. uh, or just, just, you know, overloaded with exposition. Um, but I also feel like the pacing uh, could have really been sped up in a lot of ways. And maybe it's more of a problem of, this is the third movie in the MonsterVerse, and it seems like it probably should be like the sixth movie, where you previously set up Ghidorah and Rodan and Mothra separately in like older prequel movies or something. Sure. So that way 
when you get to this movie, you can just do like five minutes here them, you know, being busted out or breaking out or being freed or, you know, coming back to life. And those moments can happen very quickly yeah. instead of here's a 15 minute sequence setting up Mothra and then, Oh, we're going to take all these same characters, go to a different point in time or a different point on the earth and do the exact same sequence again, but with a different character and then go to another location and do the exact same beats again. And so it felt kind of tiring. So by the time we actually get some of those monster, I'm like, okay, like, yes, I need this to kind of rejuvenate me a little bit, get me back uh, more interested. Um, I mean, I think from a performance standpoint, Lily by Brown's great in her first non 11 role. Uh, as yeah. far as I understand, uh, I always have a soft spot for Kyle Chandler and he was great uh, as well. I thought Ken Watanabe was probably the best of the bunch and probably gets the best arc uh, for his character. Um, and then, you know, Bradley Whitford, Thomas Middleditch, both were really good at stealing moments of comedy here and there. Um, and then Charles Dance, I thought, did a really good job of bringing the gravitas uh, that this movie needed, but probably could have used even more of his menace uh, in a lot of ways. But at the end of the day, I think this is a movie that ultimately, for me, as somebody who is already coming in mixed on the MonsterVerse, as somebody who is a big fan of Godzilla, but pretty underwhelmed by King of the Monsters mm-hmm. or by uh, Skull Island, uh, I am content with what I got with king of the monsters but definitely not overjoyed and be like wow get me in the theater next may for uh godzilla vs kong i mean i'm still looking forward to that movie but i am not like jazzed let me buy a ticket right now let me go see that movie because i cannot wait to see how these characters cross over instead i'm left for my viewing experience seeing an imax it was great in imax but there was a guy sitting two rows in front of me uh who clearly was a giant toho monster vs fan and I wish I had half of the excitement as this guy did of every mm-hmm. reveal or moment or uh, fight because this guy was losing his mind. I was like, man, like that's yeah. great. I'm so happy for those people who are going to experience me like that because I've seen not just that guy, but a lot of people who felt that reaction. And I wish I could have that. Instead, I'm just more like, it was good. I'll give it three ticket subs out of five and we can move on into spoiler territory for Godzilla King of the Monsters. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. And I, I think it, you, you touched on like a really good point there. Um, and it's not so much that you don't get everything that was advertised, but it's the way that you get it. Mm-hmm. And maybe I was just, maybe I thought that, um, at least from trailers that we were being brought to something a little more visually compelling, but and Michael Dougherty gives us those, you know, moments, but they don't give you anything else. You talked about how it was muddled and confusing once again, we don't see a shred of daylight in this movie put on any kind of monster until Godzilla stands triumphant at the end. Yeah, I mean, and Rodan, his sequence is only lit up because he's on fire. So, like, right. he is illuminating himself. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so it's like, okay, like, great, I can see him. Right. I can see this giant, yeah. hardened, pterodactyl-like creature flying through, and it looks Great, incredibly clear. I think Mike Uprocks, whose review I kind of read before the film, uh, you know, mentioned it. Like you're like you're literally putting Godzilla in the worst conditions possible at night in the middle of a blizzard yeah. with a oncoming hurricane. Yep, and it's like those things around it are just. I mean, I get you're trying. I, mean, I don't know if you're trying to hide it or what the purpose of that is when you're having a monster fighting movie to not show monsters. I mean, there's the you know the money side of it where it's like, hey, if we put them in clouds of darkness and rain and storms. You don't need to render it as sharp. We, yep, and... It doesn't have to look as great. It can just be all, a bunch of gray blobs everywhere. 
and you can get away with that. Is that preferred? Is that the best method? No. Um, but this movie already has a reported $170 million production budget. And legendary Warner Brothers probably weren't like, yeah, sure, we'll add another $20 million mm-hmm. to get rid of the cloudiness and the rain and let you really see these monsters because it may not turn out for them at the box office. So it's probably the smart move financially, but from just like a pure entertainment standpoint of this movie, uh, probably not a good one. Yeah. So like if you're not going to go all in on the monsters, which I mean they did, but they didn't Mm -hmm. in this film, um, just in the ways that they decided that they were going to represent them, you turn your attention to the human characters and like you t- talked about earlier, this cast is packed mm-hmm. to the brim here. Um, like you said, Charles Dance, it's so good to see Tywin Lannister, you know, <laughs> on screen again. Um, because like you said, he brings, he, he's got a malevolent, calculating presence mm-hmm. on screen and in every frame. Um, but he's ultimately not that evil. But he's he's evil. But he's ultimately like, right. not that evil so much that when Vera Farmiga has a change of heart about her intentions and is going to go save her daughter um, in the midst of Fenway Park, which Michael Duggery is definitely a Mets fan or something like that, because just lays waste <laughs> to Fenway Park of all of Boston. in all of Boston, <laughs> maybe as it should be if you depending on who you ask. <laughs> I don't know, but that is so viable, and I mean it would take there are very few people who would pull that off. Um, but like you said, around them, you just get really great actors doing like one note performances a lot of the way. Uh, I was Thomas Middleditch, the probably given the most out of like the nobodies mm-hmm. of things to do. Um, but yeah, just drops a few notes of like, I, I know where the hangar bay is. He's like, no, seriously. And yeah. then Kyle Chandler responds and then they finally like go to it. I'm like, okay, that's kind of funny. Mm-hmm. Um, but amidst all of those, though, Bradley Cooper... Um, Bradley Whitford. Bradley Whitford, thank you. <laughs> I wrote down Bradley if Cooper. If only it was Bradley wow. Cooper. Wow, that would be cool. Bradley Whitford is aware that this isn't the movie that you or I oh, yeah. or many people thought it was going to be. He's going for that campy, I'm just going to throw out one-liners every 16 minutes. Right, yeah. <laughs> His performance is so much like, this is just a blockbuster where you make people laugh and take it not not take it seriously. Right, like he, even I think one of his coffee, I think his coffee cup had like is a monarch coffee cup and it says like not yours <laughs> right. on like tables like, that's, that's great that's hilarious yeah. there's so many good things and like when um the, the it's in the trailer moment it was like oh my godzilla and it's like yeah. <laughs> those like that that's that's an indication of what that movie is yeah and it it's non-stop and so when you get into those latter moments you're like this is just a action action spectacle rather than something you know really important or you know um centered around like what Godzilla is and what he means or what he represents. Mm-hmm. It's just like, we've got big monsters, so let's let people run from them. Yeah. I mean, it was just like, yeah, going back to the action, like, I don't want to harp on this so much, but like, just, you know, Godzilla's action, when Godzilla's actually in there, it is like, you know, there's a lot of destru- destruction happening and the against the motos and it is set at night, but there's still those moments you can actually like see him clearly and you can see the action clearly there's the great skydiving sequence uh which yes. was so well done by edwards and but then, and then like in uh skull island a lot of that movie is actually set in the daytime so you see kong mm-hmm. fully realize that end battle with him fighting the skull crawlers or whatever they're called great because like it looks great the action is like really well done the visuals are fantastic and i wish there was just a, like one other moment because i think the rodan sequence is Probably the best one from an action standpoint. Just what you can see. Rodan's terrifying. It 
gets its point across in that moment. But then, like, Godzilla doesn't get that big, shiny moment to do his own thing. Right. You need you have to wait until the very fi- final five, three, four minutes of Godzilla literally glowing from thermonuclear radiation um, and, like, you know, just laying down the law on top of Ghidorah before you're like, oh, I can kind of see things going clearly. I mean, because the, the family's reunited, and then you get this, like, nice wide pan. You see the th- entire city of Boston mm-hmm. behind them, and they just go charging at each other. And that's kind of where it starts. But then that's also where it stops. And then you're like, again, an entire two hours of movie for five minutes of, you know, why we kind of showed up for right. And um, I don't know where I pulled this from, but I think maybe even just a tweet, someone compared this to um, Guillermo del Toro's Pacific Rim. Mm-hmm. And even Pacific Rim, I, you know, at least from memory, maybe it's just recency bias, but the action's rather clear there. Mm-hmm. Um, so, I, I yeah, I'm just kind of left in the... We're left in the dark there, yeah. literally. Um, <laughs> uh, kind of all the way through. Uh, but... I mean, I'm really kind of running down my list here. And, like, I guess that's my final, like, big heart point just for myself here. Okay. And then I mean, we can jump to what you got. I but. mean, yeah, you went through the the human characters. And mm-hmm. I did not feel as strong of a connection to them as right. I think you did. Um, and I don't know if that's because... The family dynamic yeah, specifically? Like I think, like, I think Farmiga's going for something i can't quite put my finger on what it is she's got she's got uh, it there i think that's that's peak farmiga in a lot of ways but like i just like i don't know her her character motivations and like why she's doing this and like her ultimate plan and then reversal of the plan and then oh, i'm going to be the one to sacrifice myself uh it's like I, I just don't i couldn't really follow her character like okay so you're you want to unleash all these monsters because a monster killed your son but then your son like Billy Bobby Brown, like snaps back and like, if you, th- if like he was still around, do you really think he'd want you to be doing this? And I'm like, Oh, but, but Millie Bobby Brown was also in on this plan. Somehow thought it was a good idea. And then she turns and like Millie Bobby Brown steals the thing. Cause there's nobody protecting the Orca, which is like the most essential piece of equipment that like this organization has at the mm-hmm. moment. And I just felt like a lot of this stuff was just like really eye rolly for me. And then since we don't see a lot of them actually together, like, when Chandler and Farmiga are on screen together for like I think the first time outside of like the cold 2014 opening, yeah, I'm like I don't like I don't really like have that backstory or shared history with you to really connect. Like, oh, this is the first time they've been in a room together in like five years. Mm-hmm. Like I just didn't connect with that, and so I I was left a little cold on them and Farmiga's decision and just Emma Russell kind of as a character as a whole. Okay, well, I think it's fair, but uh, I mean, I, I I was really bought into it. Yeah. I mean, Kyle Chandler is like, you know, I think our collective uh, Netflix binging movie dad. Right. In I mean, a lot how of ways. can you, how can you not buy into Coach Taylor when yeah. he's he's bringing to the table here? But I was just like, I need, you know, this this was no uh, what who plays who plays the wife in uh, that show? Well, I can't think of her name. Uh, she's in some show with Hayden Pantier. She was some country show. You're Googling it right now. I'm Googling for me. it right now for you. Connie Britton. Yes. Like, wow. like that connection that, that Connie that. Britton and uh, that, that them two have uh, is in Friday Night Lights is superb. And I didn't feel 5% of that. Like, they oh, that's are obvious. Strange. Well, sure. I mean, but like, he's a recovering alcoholic. Uh, but like, so. I just don't, I don't know. I didn't connect with like their, right, their right, backstory. Right. I, I loved it though. Okay. I'll, I'll differ from you. It's strongly that's, there, That's though. totally fine. Um, but 
I guess like I mean I don't know what else you have to say, but I kind of want to move into sort else. of my thesis, kind of like on this movie is like I just don't know what this movie is anymore. The the first 2014 Godzilla is largely just like we are small people in a larger universe, mm-hmm. and Godzilla and the Mutos are that. Yes. Like, and that's kind of what the fight is. It's grounded, like you said, in Aaron Taylor Johnson and Brian Cranston's perspective of it's a it's a big world, and we're just trying to like survive in it any way we possibly can. And everything about Greg Gareth Edwards' movie is shot from you know the ground, really, mm-hmm. or literally falling through the sky or on from tops of buildings and things like that. And that sort of feels right here. I don't know what we're getting to or getting around or what the purpose of this is anymore. If, if Godzilla shouldn't just be just another movie monster because of, like you said, the, the, the legend that he's seeped in like that, what that first movie symbolizes and represents and just man, sure it went kitschy and mm-hmm. terrible from there. But then Shin Godzilla from 2015, if I remember correctly, um, which is basically their big budget Godzilla movie from Japan, mm-hmm. like sort of rebrought him back um, as more of a destructive force again, like, you know, something of our own making. Uh, here, that seems to note on that at the end that maybe we've created, like, a monster again, mm-hmm. um, especially with the end, but it just feels really pulpy and kind of useless. And so I think that's ultimately where the bigger disappointment comes from. Yeah. No, I mean, I agree with you. Um, I mean, as we kind of look ahead to because this is not the end of this this franchise whether or not we get a godzilla 3 is tbd at this point but we know next year godzilla vs kong is coming uh what about the ending of this film with you know godzilla becoming the king of the monsters Ghidorah is being defeated mothra dies to give rodan's powers to godzilla um in some ways and then but oh Rod- is that what that was I, th- I think so because like he gets like Red and fiery like Rodan. Well, that's him going thermonuclear. Okay, so I don't know. Because you remember how Bradley Whitford was like, he's gonna explode. Right. I just thought for like I thought for some I reason it was that magical like, too. That like when she because like she stabs Rodan and then does her thing mm-hmm. to like heal him, make him more powerful, whatever. She shields him. I thought and. Then he does that stuff. So that's what that was my interpretation of it. I okay. could be totally wrong about that. Um, but either way, Mothra is dead. Rodan's still alive, and her, him and the other monsters that are around now in Boston all kind of bow down to Godzilla. Right, and he's he's now ready to take over potentially. There, there are yeah, in that final shot, there are some really sweet looks at monsters mm-hmm. the mutos like yeah I don't that's why the they're hideous back. one i i really don't I'm not I, I thought they were just like the two and that, that was it or i guess there's two that they found i suppose i don't I know guess. i'm just not a fan of that creature design no. awesome but we have an awesome um massive like i don't know what it is it's like a giant like woolly mammoth woolly mammoth sort of thing, thing. giant you're spider rolling up yep um what i else? can't remember what the other one was there were a couple other ones that they just never gave us good looks at right like you but, said rodan returns and bows and, after. That, and plus there's all the other 16 15 that like we knew about that that, that monarch knows about mm-hmm. uh that <laughs> are also out there of yeah. chaos across the planet but um like to get kelly like ken wanabi's character um basically sets off a nuke nuke, um, in front of Godzilla to kind of restore him and bring his power back after an oxygen grenade nuke went off. Why would you ever invent such a thing? Well, the description of the device was just ridiculously stupid. And then, of course, it doesn't work. And so Godzilla's looking at his But anyway, they set off another nuclear blast next to him. That's finally kind of what gives him the power to, like, 
you know, come back and basically his steroids <laughs> right you know he, he'll turn curb stomp Ghidorah all three heads and then he erupts into like a cataclysmic nuclear bomb just because he it was so angry or his powers build up or whatever the case is mm-hmm. and uh, Bradley Whitford punctuates the final moments of the movie with glad he's on our side and then we kind of see Godzilla reveling well at least the, I interpreted him like reveling in the power uh-huh and then um, the line comes from, uh, oh gosh, I can't even think of her character name. But the general character, yes. the sergeant. Um, um, I can't think of her name either. But the line is, "Well, for now." Yeah. And then we get one more cut back to Godzilla. He stands triumphant across, you know, in the ashes of Boston, and that's it. Cut to black, and we're gone. And that's the movie. And so. Maybe Godzilla's, we've created the monster again, even though like we bestowed Godzilla with powers to protect us, and now we've given him too much power? I, I, I don't know. But that's clearly the hint of what's to come. Like you said, the sequel next year, Godzilla vs. Kong. Mm-hmm. And so, I mean, the, the, I mean, as the credits roll in the movie, there's other, like, you know, you know, news clippings, newspaper headlines of, you know, the effects of all these new Titans being out there, the effects of Godzilla, there's rumblings of, you know, more Titans going to Skull Island or, uh, you know, the exploration of the Hollow Earth theory and all this kind of stuff that sets up Godzilla vs. Kong. And if that, I didn't take that final look from Godzilla until you really mentioned it and made me think about it as like, a, oh, yes, I'm going to rule mm-hmm. and take over this Earth sort of a thing. But I think that's definitely where they want you to think. Um and so I think I guess that then positions Kong to be the quote unquote good guy of Godzilla vs Kong until something changes and then they're like fighting on the same side or split rule somehow. Or... Yeah, I don't know what it's gonna be um, because like there's a post credit scene like you mm-hmm. said, which weird enough like I just got up and left like right. not even thinking twice about that. And it's the character. It's it's Jonah. I think yeah. is his name uh, played by Charles Dance. Uh, going to like some black market CD place and finding the severed head of Ghidorah, which was one of the three hit, which was the third head that uh, Godzilla bit off before the mm-hmm. oxygen, the no oxygen bomb <laughs> went off, uh, which I guess fishermen found. And now Charles Dance is there to buy it and set up for either Godzilla vs. Kong or or Godzilla 3 potentially mm-hmm. that Mecha got Mecha Ghidorah is going to be the thing that right. comes next. I don't I don't know. I feel like the setup for this with all the setup that they do for Godzilla vs. Kong I feel like that makes sense to be the uniting force between Godzilla and Kong to be like, right. oh, now we have to fight a mechanically enhanced Ghidorah with one real head and two mechanical ones, I guess. Yeah, an attempt uh, to control whatever the minor power is. Right, and like, I don't know, I'm just like spitballing here, but like, and then like Mechagodzilla has like Orca implants in him or something, so that way Charles Dance has full control over like what the creature does. Like, that's, that makes sense to me, and like that's where we, that's where we go from here. Um, but it, it's, it, it's, it, again, like as we kind of talked about before, it's just a strange feeling of not being like, yes, I can't wait. Because even after uh, Skull Island, I, like as much as I didn't love that movie, I was like, "But Kong was great, mm-hmm. and he's good. He's all he's still growing." As they right. mentioned that movie, and 
to see him be 300 feet tall or something, fight a 450 foot Godzilla, uh, and then team up together. Like that'd be awesome. And now I'm like, I mean, yeah, that's still going to be cool to see, but like, I don't have that, uh, confidence in this universe at this point to be like, well, like get the whole thing right. Mm-hmm. Cause they haven't done that so far. Right. And at this point it's just, it's become what it's become. And I don't even know the director of, uh, Adam Wingard. Yeah, I don't even know what Adam Wingard has in store, but um, if it's going to follow the form of this, then I don't know. Maybe all's lost. I, f- I, I don't remember if this is true or just like a rumor I read or completely false. I don't know. But I thought there was something about Michael Duggarty doing some work on uh, Godzilla vs. Kong. I remember if this was for like a script or giving notes or whatever, but that makes sense. Um, and hopefully, you know, come next year, we're both exiting the theater a lot more excited about the monster versus current state and potential future, uh, than we are right now. Duggarty is listed on the screenplay, has written the screenplay for it. So there we go. And we have an entire cast lined up for this movie. It's a loaded one again. (laughs) Except for Kyle Chandler, who is very much alive at the end of this movie. He's definitely back. Oh, he is listed on here. Nice. Nice, nice, nice. He's just not high billed for IMDb for some reason. Dude, probably. He's not high billed on IMDb. He's got to get that's, a better agent. Well, that's more, I think the IMDb cast list is based off their rising star IMDb meter. Mm. That's how it bills I'd <laughs> for look some down the dumb list reason. For a second. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's a, lo- it's a loaded cast. And as we've talked about, this movie had a great cast. King, uh, Skull Island had a great cast. And then Godzilla is probably the best movie of the bunch had the more intimate, smaller cast. It just lets you focus on like three main characters. And that's the one that succeeded so far. Yeah. So having, I mean, as much as I want to see Millie by Brown, Alexander Skarsgård, Lance Reddick, Isa Gonzalez, Kyle Chandler, Rebecca Hall, Jessica Henwick, uh, Zizi Changback, Denai Guerrera, potentially Julian Dennison, Damian Bashir, Brian Tyree Henry. Like that is a great cast of people. And mm-hmm. I want to see them all in this movie. But not if they're just gonna get nothing parts like O'Shea Jackson Jr. is in this movie that we're talking about right now. He takes two orders. He takes two orders. Says the gets the PG thirteen one f bomb drop. Adverb. Great. And uh, but that's it. I'm like, come on. So disappointing. Oh jeez. But uh, any final thoughts here on King of the Monsters? Um, I know I don't have any final thoughts. Well, long live the king. Okay then. Uh, I guess on that note. We will exit this review. Those are our thoughts. Leave us your thoughts uh, on Twitter as well. We'll be right back in a bit with the news. back with the news and as always we'll start with our three main topics this week kicking off with a potential piece of mcu casting as a report came from the site mcu cosmic last night as of uh, our recording uh that keanu reeves is reportedly being eyed and in early negotiations to join marvel's the eternals uh the role that he could play is currently unspecified but it's worthy to note that keanu reeves was current was previously the front runner to 
play Jan Rog in Captain Marvel, but had to drop out of the Brie Larson solo movie due to scheduling issues. So he's already been approached by Marvel Studios before. Mm. He was close before. This makes a lot of sense to me. Is this the right move for Keanu Reeves' career after the box office success of John Wick and the whole franchise? Of course, of course, of course. It's the right move for Marvel. It's the right move for Keanu because he's going to make bank this time now he's been doing mid-budget movies that you know need to give everything to everything but him and so now i mean john wick's wrapping up ish maybe i mean that we have a fourth one on the way so guess who yeah we'll see but anyway it's yeah it's time to get him into one of the or, you know the collective the pop cut pop culture zeitgeist in ways that john wick probably already has but yeah this will take the new heights it'll bring him back to that matrix sort of level of like keanu reeves everyone knows him in one right no he he's i mean he's still there. he still is known but like just think if he is in eternals mm-hmm. that comes out november 2020 yes and then john wick 4 comes out may 2021 right that box office uh he's about to saturate up. the market with can't wait so much yeah he's got am, bill and ted three on the way too that's so right it's gonna be great he, he's coming to a peak here i mean like or another peak maybe not who knows but yes this is great i don't know anything about eternals or roles that he could be but probably villain because that's what he eyed last time that's what i'm thinking and i mean he can one and done it but maybe hopefully around <laughs> i don't know but i love this yeah i mean i, I mean we are both big Keanu Reeves fans largely thanks to John Wick but also because of his prior movies as well Matrix uh, Point Break yes. Speed uh, just run down this whole filmography well not his whole filmography because it's not all that great uh, he has some stinkers in there um, but for the most part Keanu Reeves has done wonders especially in the action franchise and so uh, him being the potential next addition to the Eternals cast super uh, excited about that and as you mentioned he fits the bill of what marvel looks for as a villain because yeah they looked at him for a villain role already Mm -hmm. um but also just like run through their past several people who they cast as villains josh brolin uh kate blanchett for thor ragnarok michael keaton homecoming uh kurt russell for guardians 2 eric kill or eric killmonger michael b jordan (laughs) for black panther like they go after these big name stars who whether they want to do one movie or they want to maybe stick around for a sequel potentially that they come in and bring them in and just to get that name recognition, bring their uh, expertise to the role and uh, really help solidify whatever movie they're doing. I think that's somewhat needed for the Eternals, which is, as you mentioned, is the same case for a lot of people. Nobody knows who the Eternals are Mm -hmm. and that's totally fine. And that's totally fair. And that's going to hopefully be a Guardians of the Galaxy redux for Marvel Studios. They're like, well, no, nobody knew who Star-Lord or Gamora or yeah. Rocket Raccoon or Groot or Drax were, you know, in 2013, but now they're some of the biggest names in movies. Right. You front-load it with a cast who we've all give credibility to and then lends the movie credibility right away. Mm-hmm. Like Chris Pratt jumping into Guardians of the Galaxy. No idea what that movie's going to be, but Andy from Parks and Rec is going to be yeah, there. That's fun. So, you know, you, 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 you jump on in with that and, tossing john wick in who's been leading the the action movie resurgence the quality action movie resurgence um with leech and stahelski uh you're on your way mm-hmm. now you mentioned you don't know who he could be yes um i think i have an idea please give me some names i can uh, google right now first let's run through who we who we have in the cast so far okay. and who they are rumored or likely to be playing got it so richard madden is 
reportedly on board, and he will reportedly play Icarus, who is typically the male lead of the franchise mm-hmm. uh, in the comics. Then there's Angelina Jolie, yes. who is rumored to be involved, and r- some sites have credited her as playing Cersei, who's the female lead of the of this franchise. Then our favorite boy, Kumail Nanjiani, yes. is on board as well. He is likely, this is not rumored, but this is just as sort of a fit. Him as Makari, this speedster who can, you know, run as fast as he can, you know, give out some quips every now and then. I think that makes a lot of sense for Kumail. And then Madong Siak, uh, his role could be go a, di- a couple of different ways. One of them being Druig, the main villain. He could be uh, Zuras, who is like this very elderly uh, figure in the Eternals. But I think he's probably best suited to play uh, this character named the Forgotten One, who is a Eternal who is exiled uh, from their from their lot, but he was like an expert fighter. Uh-huh. And Madong Siak is like, known for his action in his previous role. So even though I think Keanu could fit that bill, I think he fits the bill more for Druig, which is why in February 2019, uh, several months ago, I wrote an article for ScreenNet casting the Eternals and had Keanu Reeves pegged for Druig as the perfect fit for a lot of these reasons that we've already gone over. So I think that's got to be the role because he is A-plus material for a villain and Druig's a really fascinating uh, character. And even if you look at like hit some of the more recent Eternals comics uh, where he's placed on earth. He is always in a black suit, Suit. just like John Wick red tie. So it like, it just screams like, did you like Neil? I think who, I think it was uh, Neil Gaiman who wrote those comics. Mm -hmm. Uh, like, did you like? Did you guys know? Like, you guys, did you guys have a vision of the future six years in and be like, "Yep, Keanu Reeves. That's where model, modeling Druig after because it looks just like him. It's uncanny. It is. It's actually nuts. Yeah. Um. They're the only other person. It actually looks. Yeah. Man, I can't think of anyone else that looks like more. Like he, than he's the even John got like, the, like the, the defined cheekbones, the beard. Like it's ridiculous the, how similar they look already. Um. I'm trying to think of who plays Preacher on Preacher, the AMC show. Uh, I don't. I do not know. I know Dominic Cooper's in that. Dominic Cooper. Yeah. Series. The only other person is Dominic well, Cooper. And, and see, he's already been cast in MCU as the previous version of Howard Stark. That's right. So and so there you go. He's off My the table. Goodness, that's probably him. And that kind of that would shape the movie in a lot mm-hmm. of ways as well. Especially if he's wearing that dark suit. This is going to be set on Earth, I suppose. It could be, but then also, like, if you look at like sort his, of like Gods Among Us. Uh, it, yeah, it could, it could be like that. There's if you go with the, like the Neil Gaiman run, that's that approach. But then you could go back to like you know the Jack Kirby stuff from you know the you know 60s and 70s and go very cosmic, set it back thousand years before the MCU, so you don't have to worry about continuity. That's mm. probably the way they go with this movie, if I had to guess. Um, but I think that if you, if you like just look up like Druig like on Google, like you'll see like his red full body armor that like, yeah. he wears for fights and it looks it's a great sign and seeing Keanu in that in a live action form uh chef kiss very judge dready yes um yeah I am a, I am all about it that's and, for sure yeah I mean Druig uh you know he's just like this kind of power hungry warlord kind of who just wants to you know take over for the Eternals and uh I think Keanu being that character he can bring that that villainous turn, which I think would be fun to see from him, but then also hopefully he can bring some grounded action to the MCU and like give us like some very hard hitting, uh, you know, fight sequences 
that he's actually doing. So uh, fingers crossed that actually happens, that gets done, that he is Druig. Um, but we'll move on to the DC Universe, where the rap reported this week that comic writer Tom King has been hired to co-write the New Gods movie with Ava DuVernay, who has confirmed this news on Twitter multiple times, uh, teasing that she's ready to get to work with Tom. So uh, he has a very highly regarded run with Mr. Miracle, who's one of the characters from New Gods that he's done in the, in the past couple of years uh, that a lot of people love. So his familiarity with this uh, property is already well-established. And so him coming on board and helping out DuVernay in some capacity as the writer, uh, I think is a great move for this movie, but also it's just a sign that like this movie is gearing up, which is yeah. kind of surprising. Uh, it, yeah. Like we got this report, like she was on board. She confirmed it years ago. Yeah, it's, I want to say a year. I think I want to say it's been two years. I'll look it up. But that said, recently, um, her series "When They See Us" dropped on Netflix. Shot, directed by her, shot by Brad Young. I have heard it's excellent. Seen it yet? But I've seen stills from the movie, and it looks excellent. I mean, in terms of mood lighting and everything like that, Brad Young is an excellent cinematographer. He's my man. Um, but. It's time. Like she's got nothing else on her plate. I mean, maybe something else in the works. Probably. I mean, she's I got know. her fingers and everything. But she, she, Tom King is coming on board. That means they're hunkering down and they're getting started. Like Warner Brothers and Walter Hamada and all of DC comic film or DC films is mm-hmm. pushing money towards them. Be like, okay, start going, and it's not going to be much longer. It would probably be like eighteen months, and then all of a sudden. New Gods is suddenly a movie we have trailers for, and who knows what else? Uh, toys, lunchboxes, and the, all the Darth Vader Star Wars ripoff parallels begin, and we just go. <laughs> well, I, I think it, I mean, it's, it's comical that we're talking about Eternals and New Gods back to back, both created by Jack Kirby. Uh, oh, New yeah. Gods created first by Jack Kirby, and then, uh, or wait, let me get that mixed up, where he. Yeah, so he created New Gods first for DC and then came back to Marvel after DC kind of pushed him aside and then created, like, New Gods but for Marvel with the Eternals. <laughs> so, like, it's very funny that these properties are both picking up steam at the exact same time. Both were announced in the relative same uh, time frame as well. So uh, I'm just very interested to see what they're going to do with it. I think if this movie is actually, like, if Tom King and her are going to write, get the script done by the end of the year... Uh, it'll probably shoot sometime like next summer or fall. That's that'd be like based on this time frame that we're on right now mm-hmm. and then hit theaters in late 2021, early 2022. And like that's for, for even like we've known this movie has been on the horizon. Yeah. It just hasn't seemed like there's been like a real push for it. There've been countless movies on the horizon, you know, yeah. for DC films. So it's just like, okay, they're just right. building a stable. Like remember the flash movie that hit years two that hit years two years ago? Right. Oh, wait. Uh never mind. <laughs> that did not happen and Howard uh, Bill is probably out of the role. Uh so Yeah, his contract's up now, right? Yeah, it's, it's supposed to expire at the end of May. We haven't heard anything, so him no and Ray news Fisher are probably is gone. News. That's right. Yep. So uh that as, as sad as that may be uh, for many uh Ava DuVernay directing a new gods movie in live action with Tom King writing the script. Uh, I think that just sounds like a really great pairing. And uh, I don't know. I, I don't know if this is true or not. Cause I didn't do the research ahead of time, but I feel like this will, if like he gets credited screenplay uh, or story by credit, I feel like Tom King will be one of like the first like actual comic book writers to get credit on a like, 
big budget movie. Really? Like they're like a lot of people get like created by credit, mm-hmm. but I don't think a lot of com like I can't think of any comic writers who have actually received screenplay credit by for one of these movies. Like nobody's done it for Marvel. Uh, I mean, Brian K. Vaughn, I think, was supposedly writing like a Kitty Pride movie or something um, at That's one right. point. Yeah, but I can't think of any. I can't not think of an example. Hasn't which, Robert Cargill done comics? Uh, maybe Derek Scott Derrickson, the he, he Doctor may Strange have. co-writer. He, he, he's wrote. He's written a lot, but I, I don't know if he's ever written Doctor Strange before. Gotcha. Th- this is like Tom King as well. Even though it's like a Mister Miracle comic, he's still like written these characters like I new see. gods before so gotcha. I, again i don't know if that's actually the case i someone who's actually like written a comic and then or someone who's actually written the characters source material wise if mm-hmm. you will in quotes right and then written for the film or other adaption that they're yeah. appearing on oh okay very I'm cool like, I'm like that's like if like as long as this pans out this movie happens as it looks like it's going to at this point uh then like that's super exciting it's a very fan servicey thing but like it lends the project credibility right. as well because like fans even though ava said like oh big bart is my favorite character that could be true but that doesn't mean like she knows everything about the character or everything about new gods as an entire premise it, yeah or it just like it, uh, yeah it, it just it adds in some authenticity from the beginning of it, yeah. I suppose, or from where its origins. So as to a belay, I mean, it's a good thing. And then also like, it's a good way to belay um, criticism that will eventually come. I'm sure. You know what I mean? <laughs> I guess so. I mean, just uh, directors and women of color just like, or seem to be like big targets on social media and things like that for yeah. throwing bombs at their projects. And so it's, it's a good, it's a good way to head that off as well. Yeah. I mean, speaking of women of color, and or women and people in color that is not anybody who disney hired for the next live action remake uh, as variety yeah. reported that mark webb uh the director of 500 days of summer the amazing spider-man movies uh is currently in talks to direct disney's live action snow white remake um and i didn't mean to go with that with that segue but it was right there for the taking and, and it's exactly what i wrote down it's my first bullet point here it's <laughs> it's it's hard not to think about that like it, and so it's weird too because I taught we, uh, yeah. First of all, like here's the thing: I like Mark Webb. I think I, he, I think he's a good director. Five Hundred Summer's great. I mm-hmm. like the first Amazing Spider movie. Yep. His movie Gifted uh, was really good, and nobody saw it, but it doesn't matter. It's still really really good. But when we look back on our conversation about Aladdin, I don't think we talked about Guy Ritchie really enough uh, because there's other things to talk about with that movie. That was one of the criticisms that I think is very fairly put on Aladdin is, I mean, what does Guy Ritchie actually bring to this movie? Right. Nothing. Some slow-mo. Some slow-mo, which is very <laughs> jarring in the in like when it happens in the films. But for the most part, a lot of these people who have been hired for these Disney movies are more like copy and paste. All right, here's right. a here's somebody who's familiar with the studio system who we can give a script to and they can get the job done. Yeah. And it seems like for these Disney live action remakes that that's paramount to them other than like over uh, like giving us something creative other than even though John Favreau is a, a white male, he seems like the only one who's kind of been willing to try some new stuff. Like jungle book is, is pushing technology, but it also doesn't really feature that many songs. Right. And it's telling a largely like he's elevating that story in a lot of ways. And hopefully that's the same thing with Lion King, but like you just look like run through, you know, their history of these live action remakes and like 
Tim Burton, Kenneth Branagh, uh, David Lowry, Bill Condon, uh, Guy Ritchie, uh, Joaquin Ronan. Uh, I mean, Craig Gillespie's going to do Cruella, and I think Craig Gillespie's a really talented guy, but like they've done 20. They have 20 movies either out or in development, like active development right now, these live action remakes. Uh, the only one that has a female director is Mulan with Nikki Caro. And like, I'm very excited to see that movie because Mulan's yeah. great. And, uh, but like, it just, it just, it seems strange that Disney like would hire Mark Webb to do a Snow White movie. Yeah. Like if he was doing like the, right. like the Prince Eric like movie or the, uh, uh, what what's the Prince Charming? Like if he's doing like that movie, which mm-hmm. is supposedly developed for some reason, sure that makes that Stand makes alone for him. that makes okay. more sense, I guess. Yeah, yeah But yeah. like, why aren't you like diversifying your lineup with these movies? And like, yeah, like you said, like you go. It kind of comes back to our discussion last week about Guy Ritchie talking about Aladdin, where like what I mean, yeah, they know how to do it, and movies where they know how to do it have been mostly just sort of like bland and uninspiring. I mean, not, not that they're uninspiring. Like, like you said, Cinderella. Like, that was a delightful first live-action Disney movie, right? Or uh, came Alice, Alice in Wonderland was the first one. Oh, okay, okay. The Tim Burton, that's like a, that's a choice for that. Mm-hmm. Like, you need something kooky-wacky. So that felt right. Even when Bill Condon came up for Beauty and the Beast, um, his mood and the way, like the the eeriness that he gives to his movies, like that kind of came into play here. But like you look across all these other films, and you're like, well, if not for these movies, then where else? Mm-hmm. And what else? And why else? And like you said, love Mark Webb. Like I don't think there's anything he's done that I've been like, other than like you know, Amazing Spider-Man Two, or been like, whatever. Mm-hmm. Like usually I walk away being like, there's some good stuff in there, especially especially if I'm in some especially gifted. Um, but here you're just like, well, I admit, sure you makes total sense, but then you're, you, know, you look at Aladdin, you're like, well, it'll probably just be like Aladdin where, you know, everyone's in front of green screens or, you know, th- th- there's nothing, there's no craft to it mm-hmm. other than, you know, it's, it's paramount from 1950, just churning out 50 million movies a year to hopefully make up like, you know, some kind of profit somewhere. And that's what this kind of feels like. So, um, especially Snow White, where you could, I mean, there's so many elements at play where you could get some, like, you know, a dynamic screenwriter or whatever. Like, Granite Gerwig Or give us an Edge of 17 parent again and get Kelly Freeman Craig and Heli Steinfeld to star. Oh, right. That's a, that's a Snow White movie I'd love to see. Especially, too, if you're going to shake it up in some kind of way. Because these movies are doing that, or at least in some ways. Right. You know? Like the Maleficent level way. Mm-hmm. Like, I mean, Angelina Jolie is Angelina Jolie the only um, female director, woman director, um, non male to like do one of these movies? She didn't direct either of the Maleficent movies. She didn't direct either of the Maleficent mm-hmm. movies? Robert Stromberg did the first one, and Joachim Ronin is doing the second one. So Nikki, Nikki Carl is the only female to direct one of these live action remakes. And as wow, far as I'm aware. As far as I'm aware, nobody else is a person of color either. Yeah. Jeez. Well, I mean, I'd be like, yeah. And so um, this is kind of like whatever. Yeah. It's it's more just like, am I excited about this Snow White movie? No, not really. Nope. But I think it's still it's important to talk about like why and call attention to why Disney continues just to be comfortable 
doing this same thing over and over again. Like, as much as I was a fan of Aladdin, if it was, like, the Prince Ali number, which was very Bollywood style, right. if it was that, the whole movie, and mm-hmm. we had a an, an unknown-to-us Bollywood director come in and get this breakout chance, that's great. I, I'd love to see that movie. Right. If... I mean, there's nothing like that needed for Snow White necessarily. Uh, like in terms of like a, somebody who screams, oh, or like, uh, it's like, oh, we we should go get somebody like this for the Snow White movie. Mm-hmm. It's more of, okay, get the best person for the job. Maybe Mark Webb is the best person for the job. And in three years, whenever this movie comes out, we'll yeah. be like, okay, yeah, Mark Webb did a great job doing the Snow White movie. But I, at this point, I feel less confident that's going to be the case. And he- it was more to say, Okay, Mark Webb is a good director. He can get the job done. Let's get him. It's risk minimalization. That I think that's what it kind of boils down to. Yeah. Like when you say best person for the job, like I don't even know if that should be true in some words for like you know films and directors in general because everybody is bringing something entirely different to the table every time. And so like best person for the job is sort of just like, do you know how to like turn on a camera? Like there's like different direct directing is a different skill set. I mean, in terms of you know knowing how to put a movie together those are editors and things like that but i don't know we're talking too much about snow white it's just an uninspired (laughs) choice that i really don't care about but like you started the top you know this topic with it just kind of begs the question of like mulan is the only one like yeah that's as far as you're gonna get but and so this you know that perspective that these the older stories had is just gonna stay true today Mm -hmm. and you're not gonna get any kind of like outside turn or twist like you know not that you need to copy and paste and like you know moments or updated uh you know sensibilities Mm -hmm. into these movies because that's ultimately what's gonna happen it's just gonna be uninspired there won't be anything really behind it other than like here's a feminism moment for Jasmine and Aladdin. There's right. going to be something like yeah. that here in Snow White. It'll be probably a little bit more touching because Mark Webb, I think, is, you know, at least compelling in some ways right. what he's written so far and they will have a perspective to it. But I don't know if it'll be as potent or important mm-hmm. or, you know, something we haven't seen before. Right. Uh, two last things. Uh, now, if him being hired is a way for Zoe Deschanel to be the star of Snow White, Yes. Then, then I may give this more of a pass mm-hmm. <laughs> because that could be a lot of fun. But at the same at the uh, the same conversation we've been having this whole time, like Disney is the most powerful studio in Hollywood right now. They're the ones who largely can set the example of what to do in whatever situation. Like you know, with all the stuff going on in Georgia and the abortion laws. After Disney was like. Yeah, like if this goes through, we're gonna like pull out a lot of our productions. Probably, mm-hmm. a lot of other studios started doing the same, saying the same thing. Right. So if Disney was the one who was like, like showing here are all these different movies, like yeah, it's great. Like uh, next year, both their Marvel movies are gonna be directed by females. Great, that's excellent. Uh, and but like you know, Marvel also met with sixty plus directors for Black Widow. Mm-hmm. None of those people could have done a Snow White movie. Yeah, I don't know. That just seems weird. <sighs> goodness gracious. I mean, like, Kay Cannon, like, is oh, off doing her own thing now, which is good. And, but also, like, why, like, you're, she's going to be writing, com- like, she can write and direct comedy, and you're going to have all of those dwarves in this movie, which I, I, yeah, I, I just, be something to we see. will see how that works. <laughs> um, especially under Mark Webb. Like, 
why not like let, give her a stab at it? it there's just so many things yeah. that I've got questions about. But, but. Let's, uh, let's move on from this Disney live action uh, conundrum that we're talking about and move on to Ticket or Skip It. Uh, there are a couple of trailers here that we'll choose which one to give our ticket to individually. We got our second trailer for Annabelle Comes Home, the first trailer for The Goldfinch, the first trailer for The Kitchen, the first trailer for Rambo Last Blood, and the first trailer for Pixar's Onward. Josh, which one gets your ticket this week? I'm going to give it to The Kitchen. Because it's a remarkably terrible trailer, which means I think there's a good movie in here that they don't know how to sell. Okay. I, I, as soon as I saw Elizabeth watch, um, Elizabeth Moss pull a gun from her purse, blast somebody in some kind of warehouse, and then just walk away like it was Have nothing. Have like some smile on her face? Yeah, there's like a, there's the, you can, she puts, she like the, the adrenaline yeah. on the face, like, you know, how you feel after like doing something, you know, compelling or harrowing. Uh, that was like, oh, there's something to this movie. There's Melissa McCarthy and Tiffany Haddish, the first time I've seen her do drama, yeah. or at least explicitly drama. Mm-hmm. And I am just very about it. It looks like a little more of a balanced action comedy as opposed to something like Widows, because it kind of still feels it still feels similar here in a lot of ways, but just with a lot more Irish accents. Uh, but I'm really, really about it. And Elizabeth Moss doesn't typically pick terrible projects like i can't think of something i've seen with her where it's been like (laughs) and so i'm definitely about it especially for her like accent too which i think it's like find funny and you know like i'm i'm just here for it so uh yeah i'm ready to bring it on um it's directed by andrea burloff Mm -hmm. and so the writer is straight out of compton Thank They're you. Making her directorial debut, I believe. Really? Okay. I believe so. Awesome. So, I'm here for it. Bring uh, it on. Yeah, I, I think this movie looks uh, excellent uh, and like a sleeper hit of like the late fall season. Like maybe again, this is like too early to tell, but like if the like they start screening it out, like maybe this gets delayed a couple of months, so like it's like in Oscar conversation potentially. Mm-hmm. It just seems like a movie that could potentially hit those heights, and it's allowed to do with that cast. I was waiting for the Tiffany Haddish one liner. Uh, didn't, come. didn't come and I was like okay like they're committing to this approach which uh, I was really excited about and uh, I was debating between the kitchen and one other movie for my ticket and since I talked about the kitchen uh, I will give my ticket to Onward uh, the next movie or the next movie from Pixar mm-hmm. after Toy Story 4 comes out this summer uh, I mean it's great to see Tom Holland and Chris Pratt playing brothers but you don't even get that much of that in this tra- this is a very much a teaser trailer um, but I just love the world that they're setting up where gnomes are out there doing like gardening stuff. There's <laughs> right. uh, unicorns are like raccoons <laughs> in this yes. world. Now uh, there's these giant mushroom houses, uh, but there's still like a magic to it, even though that's like very grounded now. And like the, like Chris Pratt and Tom Holland just have a van. Uh-huh. <laughs> like, yes. That's their mode of transportation, not a unicorn, not uh, some other magical beast. Like they have a pet little dragon. And like, it just seems like a very fun clever movie uh, just based on the premise alone and the mm-hmm. world that it's set in and it only teases teases us at the very end of we're going on an adventure we don't know what that adventure is but with tom holland and chris Pratt being the voices and like that's that's going to be so ripe for comedy and emotion right. that like i can't wait for it yeah it looks a lot like um bright but cartoony and yeah. fun and yeah like b- bring it on in a lot, a lot of the ways and so maybe like this will have more fun with the premise that like their premise than whatever bright was. Yeah. So hopefully how much did they spend on that movie? Like 150 million uh, a lot, a lot. Something stupid that they're, of course they're doing. And a sequel supposedly filming at the end of this year. I think yeah, well, they announced the sequel. It's yeah, happening. It's coming. Oof. 
but we'll see. Good call. Uh, <laughs> uh, let's move on to the flyby here to wrap up this episode. Uh, going back to the topic we talked about two weeks ago was that Robert Pattinson was potentially going to be Batman, and now we know officially he is def- – well, I, sh- I shouldn't say officially. He is now reportedly in final negotiations to play the role. DC hasn't confirmed it. Warner Bros. hasn't confirmed it. Matt Reeves has not confirmed it. Robert Pattinson hasn't confirmed it. But all of the trades and outlets are saying, yes, he is the choice. They're talking. A deal may or may not be done, depending on who you believe. Um, but I'm happy that Pattinson's going to be the guy, even though just in sharing the article on my own Facebook, I already got several people, oh, well, they ruined Batman. <laughs> Watch a movie that's not Twilight. I mean, you probably haven't even seen Twilight. Come on. I, I, wonder what, well, I, I wonder what it was like to be Christian Bale or like, can you imagine if the internet, the internet as we know it today existed when Christian Bale was secretly cast and they secretly shot, uh, Batman begins like a British guy playing an American superhero. Get out of here. And it's just so dumb. I hate cast it. Casting announcements for superhero characters or casting announcements for Batman is just a trash. Heap. It'll just be very interesting to see. And somebody mentioned this to me on Twitter, uh, after talking about this and I suggested Taron Egerton as Wolverine mm-hmm. um, after seeing rocket man and people are like, you know, all the Batman stuff is, it seems routine for some reason for Batman. People were upset about Ben Affleck. People were probably upset about Christian Bale or they were upset about Heath Ledger as the Joker. We all know that. Right. Um, that turned out terribly not. Uh, and like whoever's casting next Wolverine, <laughs> like, I can't wait to see that day. Uh, <laughs> or as I mentioned at the, at the top of the show, whoever's recast to play the big screen Kingpin next, mm-hmm. that's going to be one heck of a day on Twitter. Um, but uh, yeah, I'm glad to see Pattinson uh, nag the role. We also got an update from Forbes uh, where they said that Supergirl, the movie may film early 2020, which is kind of a shock since it doesn't have a director or a cast uh, assembled right now. But if that's the case, then again, just like New Gods, this movie is quickly picking up steam behind uh, closed doors and would probably be a 2021 release. So, uh, okay. Probably means Kevil's out. Hamada <laughs> is tossing it, you know, moving it forward. Everything's on the table, I guess, at DC Films. Yeah. Um, as we've seen and noticed. But that's a substantive report from, like, Forbes of all people like who don't report internet rumors as much no i mean this was i mean this wasn't like the main article it was buried in their own coverage of patents and batman stuff uh which also mentioned like robin could be in the batman or riddler could be in the batman so there's a lot of things that it's difficult to tell if it's actual speculation if it's actually sourced it Mm -hmm. seems sourced um but yeah that'd be pretty surprising bring it on uh, and we'll also be getting A Quiet Place 2 uh, two months earlier, as Paramount announced uh, this past week, that it is now going to hit theaters on March 20th, 2020, in the same window where the first Quiet Place hit theaters. Great news, because it means we only have we have less than a year now to wait for A Quiet Place 2. It's supposedly filming soon, or if it isn't already. So uh, I can't wait to see what John Krasinski does next. Yeah, I'm excited to see how the sequel goes. I'm excited to see more material that they put on the cutting room floor they got left out and yeah all those things bring it on uh and then lastly here we got an update about Zack snyder's army of the dead as the rap reported that ella pernell theo rossi anna de la reguera and huma Gureshi have all joined the movie the, the movie uh which uh currently only stars dave batista i think is the only confirmed cast member and ella pernell is going to play his daughter uh, in the movie i don't i'm not really familiar with any of these actresses, but I am familiar with Theo Rossi, thanks to his role uh, on Luke Cage as Shades. He's great in that, so if he can bring some of that fun mm-hmm. uh, evilness to this movie, like 
or just a different side of him altogether, then I can't wait to see it. Okay, awesome. Yeah, it looks like David uh, Bautista is going to be the main dude. Um, that's good. He'll be like a leading, one of the first leading, leading roles. Stuber, he's co-leading. Then there's also... Yeah. There's that My Spy. My Spy movie, I guess. So we'll have this and that to go yeah. right to it with. But so yeah, this is a, hopefully a, a big step up for Dave Bautista and like a not a direct-to-VOD starring role. I know this is a direct-to-streaming, but it's a very big difference there. Um, but yeah, hopefully that's good. I won't be surprised if we get... I mean, this isn't the end of the cast by a long shot, and I wouldn't be surprised if Ray Fisher or others, Snyder, that's uh, pop in here for some uh, significant roles as well. So uh, on that note, that is all we have for this week's episode. Next week, we are back with a review of... Dark Phoenix, the oh, final yes. main X-Men movie. I mean, New Mutants is still coming next year, mm-hmm. but this is going to put the end of the main X-Men saga from Fox uh, before Marvel Studios reboots in a couple of years, probably. So uh, any anticipation for this movie? Any hopes? The crickets were supposed to be playing oh, for okay. that. I can add those in. Thank you. <laughs> no, I don't care. No, I mean, it's, it's like, hey, if it's not a complete disaster great i'll be i'll be happy uh, and like it, it sucks that like that's the mindset i'm in and i think a lot of people are in you're in mm-hmm. that as well where because i'm watching the main x-men movies uh over the last week or so and i've you know the first two x movies are really really good uh first class i was just the most recent one i just watched is phenomenal probably my favorite main x-men movie uh, that's come out and uh it's just disappointing that we're now at the place where it's like well uh i hope it doesn't suck yeah uh, it's yeah you know after you have logan and deadpool everything else is just sort of lame you know yeah fair enough i don't know uh we'll also be back this week with a big question we will with a topic that you will find out about on wednesday yes uh, surprise <laughs> surprise because we don't know what it is yet as of this recording uh but in the meantime be sure to tell us your thoughts on everything covered by just after this film and you can follow me personally on twitter at movie cooper you can get at me josh it's just joshua ryan and if you enjoyed this episode please subscribe share retweet and more plus head over to itunes and give us a five-star view with comments that's why you enjoy listening to the show and thanks again for tuning in to the festival podcast josh thank you for stopping in everyone and be sure to turn next week for our future episodes